Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Uh, this week, joined by another RBM contributor, Ian Decker. Ian, how you doing today, bud? Good. Yeah, good to be back. It's it's been a while. Thanks for having me on, Gino. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're going to get into the women's team. That's why we, the main reason we have Ian here, because he is the one who follows the women's team most out of all of our writers. But uh, first, we're going to, we're, we're not getting into the men's team too much, at least from a performance perspective. That will be next week as we begin, um, as, as the players come back from international break. Um, but we will talk about the transfer window here first. Um, obviously, it closed this past Tuesday, uh, August 31st. We're recording September 3rd, uh, Friday. Um, Everton, not too much action in the transfer window. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit, but just to give a breakdown, Damari Gray in for 1.6 million pounds from Bayer Leverkusen. And then Asmir Begovic on a free from Bournemouth, Andres Townsend on a free from Crystal Palace, Salomon Rondon on a free from, I believe, CSK Moscow, although he did play for a Chinese club earlier uh, in his career, I think last year or two years ago. Um, and then Andy Lonergan on a free um, from West Brom. The outs, of course, Robert o- Robin Olsen returning to Roma after his loan spell. Moise Keane, a loan fee worth over £7 million with an option to buy for, I believe, near, near £25 million to Juve. Um, Niels Nkunku was loaned to Standard Liege in Belgium. Jao Virginia loaned to Sporting Lisbon. Bernard sold for £1.1 million to Char- Sharjah FC. And then Matthew Pennington, Josh King, Yannick Balassi, Benny Benengami, Theo Walcott, and Mohamed Besic all out on freeze as well. Um, Ian, let's start here. Uh, we'll start with the good. What was the best signing for you of this window? Yeah, um, I think it's, it might be cheating a little bit to say at this point, um, but you have to go with Damari Gray. Um, I think maybe before the season started, I would have said potentially Andrews Townsend, um, just because he's a player with recent prime experience um, who's worked with Rafa Benitez. Um, so I think before the season, before we saw anything happen, I would have said Townsend. But of course, you know, three games in, it has to be Damari Gray, right? Um, I, I mean, he's, look, Everton fans, we do it all the time. We get excited. We hype up after the first, you know, month of the season and then, you know, the wheels fall off. But, you know, to start, he looks really good. And, you know, for 1.7, you have to think that so far, that's one of the best pieces of business this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one point, yeah, 1.7 million pounds. I mean, he has looked phenomenal. I mean, getting a player in the month nomination, which I don't think any of us really expected two goals and his two goals taken really, really well over um, the two games Um, goals that really looked like he had lost it. Didn't look like he was going to be able to put in the back of the net and then finds a way to sneak it past the goalkeeper. Um, so he's been really, really good. Andros Townsend, as you mentioned, I feel like with him, we're going to start to see it a little bit more. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that Rafa brought him in for was the crosses. We've been playing some teams with some pretty, pretty big center backs, which have kind of neutralized Dom in the air. I think we're going to start to see um, his crossing ability and, and what he can bring to the table in a little bit. But, um, but definitely, I think Damari Gray, I don't, I don't think we can really understate how big he's been so far. Um, again, we've got a long way to go, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see how he plays out. Now, um, we did bring in Solomon Rondon on the uh, on the deadline day. Uh, the only player we brought in, despite uh, a host of names that we uh, were linked with. Um, your thoughts on him and how he fits in on, into this team, Ian? You know, I think that it is 
another transfer in a summer of underwhelming transfers. I mean, Solomon Rondon, I, I like the fact that he has Premier League experience, um, but, you know, he's 31. He's a depth striker. Um, he had a, a he had a decent goal-scoring record um, before with, with West Brom and Newcastle. So, for me, it was just kind of another transfer in a long summer of kind of underwhelming transfers. I think that for me, honestly, and, and I might touch on this later a little bit too, it kind of reminds me of the Josh King signing a little bit. Um, you can't really, so like, you can't make a straight comparison between the two, but, you know, they brought in Josh King last year and he basically didn't play. I mean, he didn't score. He came in, you know, after the 80th as a sub. And honestly, I think that, you know, knock on wood, barring, you know, a, a DCL injury, I, I just don't see Rondon, A, moving the needle at all and B, getting that much playing time. So, I mean, look, it's a free transfer. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, throwing a dart at Rondon. Hopefully he hits, you know, maybe he can bring in maybe five goals. But overall, you know, I just kind of, you know, I read it and was like, well, you know, it didn't get me too excited, but maybe he can offer something in, in the depth department. Yeah, I mean, listen, we needed, after letting Moise Keane go out on loan and, and presumably the end of the Moise Keane era with Everton, I would assume that he probably gets sold to, to Juventus after, uh, I think it's a two-year loan spell. So I think after that two-year loan spell, he probably ends up getting sold there. Um, with Solomon Rondon, there's two things that um, I think are different from the Josh King situation, because I understand what you're saying. I agree that it is a bit underwhelming, as are most things that, it, that were this transfer window. And We'll get into that a little bit about how Everton were a little had their hands tied behind their back with this transfer window. But um, two things. One, I think with Solomon Rondon, he fits the build that fits that Dominic Calvert-Lewin role. You know, I mean, I think Josh King was a different, a little bit different of a player, didn't have the best hold-up play, um, was a little bit quicker, not as strong, um, and, and did have experience, like you mentioned, in in, in the Premier League. Um, with Bournemouth. And honestly, I was kind of excited to bring him in for only 5 million pounds last year because seeing what he had done for Bournemouth and specifically against us, I feel like all the time, felt like he might be a good signing. Um, but with Solomon Rondon, he fits that Dominic Calvert-Lewin build. He fits that position. So when he comes in, as, as I think a couple of the guys said in the chat, you know, there won't be any tactical change, which is a good thing. Um, also, he is a player that Rafa's known before, as opposed to Josh King, a guy who Carlo Ancelotti's probably never heard of in his entire life. Um, I, I, Solomon Rondon knows Rafa Benitez. He'll understand the system coming in. And I think one of the biggest problems with Josh King was the fact that he, I, I'm not sure he like really worked that hard or, or tried, you know, I feel like Solomon Rondon's a little bit different in that aspect. And the one thing that sticks out to me, he did have the last time he played, when he played under Rafa, he did have seven assists. You know, I mean, other than Dominic Calvert-Lewin's season where he played under Ronald Koeman at right wing back, I'm not sure he had anywhere near seven assists. So um, that will bring another, you know, dimension to that attack. I don't love it. It's not the best signing. But again, like you said, on a free, it's low risk, high reward. If he plays well, then you're, you know, sitting pretty. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like. Um, I'm sure, it, I mean, we may get a look at him right away next week if Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't healthy with this toe injury. So um, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, obviously, hopefully all the signings do well, um, but, but we'll definitely see. Um, let's move to the Everton outs. Let's talk about 
um, who they got out and, and, and whether it was enough. I mean, obviously Everton need to get rid of so much Deadwood at this point from the Ronald Koeman era. I mean, if you look at, I, I believe there was a, I forget who put it out. Maybe it was ESC Stato on Twitter or something like that. A whole breakdown of, of kind of Steve Walsh, Ronald Koeman era. And then after that were Marcel Brands. Um, and basically every one of the players in the Steve Walsh era has no place at this club anymore. And I know it's been early for Marcel Brands, but it is, it, those players look like they're sticking around. They, they're, they're important players with the club, whereas Steve Walsh's signings, not so much or not even with the club anymore. Do you feel like Everton did enough this window to get that Deadwood off the books? Or do you feel like they could have done a little bit more? I mean, I feel like this is the, one of the better transfer windows we had in terms of getting that off. But again, it was more like contracts expiring rather than us actually selling players yeah no it's 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 a good point I um you know the the Kuman era error um you know just strapping the team with bloated bloated contracts players who never materialized um it's I was reading an article saying that you know this transfer window for was kind of the the result of that kind of hard strapped cash mentality catching up with the club and and the team saying okay we have to get you know we have to get contracts we have to get you know money off our books um and you know and then and i mean you look at the business that they did in this you know in the transfer window four frees and and you know under two million pounds for gray so it, it shows not only in the transfers and i think for the amount of capital that they had i think the transfers are solid um you know and even if you know, maybe you don't sell, you know, you don't recoup the money that you spent selling a player, but even guys who are, are released, you get their contracts off the books. Um, so you're shedding that, that weight. And I mean, looking at, I mean, the transfers out list, it's, I mean, it's a hefty list. There are a lot of guys who, you know, just clearly had no future at the club, Bessage, Velocity, King, Walcott, Bernard, um, Moise Keane, you know, maybe they can capitalize on that, get some money back in two years from his loan slash obligation to, to buy for Juventus. Um, so, I mean, looking at it, I think it, I think it's impressive for the amount of debts that the team has accrued, um, especially, you know, after this past year in the pandemic, not helping. So I, I like, I like the business they did in terms of kind of offloading the, the bloated contracts on the payroll. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it needed to be done. And unfortunately, we're not getting recouping any money for that. But um, these are players that had no place at the club. So there's no reason to bring them back for even one year. I mean, I think all these players are players that really didn't. I mean, Belasi, I think, is the one player that stands out to me that really kind of got the short end of the straw getting the injury and was just never himself after he came back from the injury. Um, but yeah, none of these guys really seem to have a future. And it's, uh, you know, uh, again, didn't recoup any money for it. And I think that's the big thing. We only spent 1.6 million pounds in this window. And I'm not even sure we made a profit, which is crazy. But again, it's, it's the, all that deadwood, all those wages. Um, one player who is on pretty big wages, who did not leave, who was expected to leave, but they couldn't find a club for it was James Rodriguez. Um, he stays. Obviously, there's been a lot of controversy. He's played under Rafa before, didn't like it. Um, now we have him for the next, you know, four months or whatever. Where does he fit into this team? Can he contribute to this team? Or is this a player who is going to 
I guess, mope around and talk on Twitch for the next four months until he can get sold in January? You know, for, for the sake of, of uh, you know, social media presence, for the sake of the club, I hope it's the former. Um, you know, I hope that he somehow, you know, there, there can be some kind of agreement between Benitez and, and Hamas and, and get him to play because if he's just sitting around, like you mentioned, on the wages he gets and, you know, just to have him be a distraction, for him to not even be playing, I think that's really going to – that's not going to sit well with the – with the supporters, nor should it. I mean, that's, you know, to have a guy like that on your books to not play is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Benitez's tactical lineup, you know, looking at where Hamas would usually play, um, you know, either on the right or left wing, right now the way Benitez is set up with this kind of 4-4-1-1-4-4-2 fluid 4-3-3, you know, I don't know necessarily if he can, you know, I mean, look, Benitez loves Townsend. He's worked with him in the past. I think, you know, in a vacuum, does Hamas have more talent than Andrews Townsend? For sure. But in the context of playing under Rafa Benitez, like maybe Townsend is favored there. And then you look at the other side, you know, you have Damari Gray in the mix. And obviously he's in sensational form. And one of my big things with Hamas, the talent is, you know, is never in question. For me, last season, what I saw, it's just, A, the lack of pace really kills him, and B, the lack of physicality. Because when you have players like that who, you know, they they have kind of really great foot skills, you know, and and teams know that that guy is the orchestrator, the maestro of the team, they're going to take him out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the nature of the Prem. It is a physically demanding league. And you saw it so many times, you know, Hamas would make a pass and then, you know, a second later or so, someone would come in, you know, you know, slam into his ankles or knock him over and he was, you know, writhing on the ground. And yeah, you know, maybe the guy gets a, a whistle. Maybe there's a yellow issue even. But, you know, Hamas is still getting beaten up game after game. So I think that the Prem was a little bit too physical for him. Um, obviously, you want to have him in your team regardless because he can he can pull the strings when he's on. He, I mean, he can score. He can pass. He can keep the ball. He can stretch play. Um, but realistically, I'm not sure I see it happening. Yeah, he said something interesting, uh, either with Colombian media or or on Twitch or something like that about how the ten role is kind of disappearing in soccer, and and I feel like that's his role. You know, that right wing role, especially in Rafa's system, he does not fit there because there's too much defensive liability over there. Andros Townsend, Alex Awobi, they fit there because they're good. They track back. James Rodriguez is not tracking back. And that was a big problem we had last year with, with him and him playing on the right side. So it's hard because you want to put Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin up top most likely. Um, so if you put two strikers up top, it essentially takes that cam roll out of the picture. I think he could be great there in that cam roll if you switch – you know, put Richarlison maybe on the right side, Damari Gray on the left, Calvert-Lewin in the middle, and then have Hamas play off of him with Ducore and Allen behind him. But again, it's, you're moving a lot of pieces, and I think it's hard to see. He's definitely a player that's going to come in, and I think he'll contribute. I do think he'll contribute. It's just a matter of if, now that he's here, he wants to be here, and he'll try his best. And I'm not sure he's going to try his best to fit in the system or fit, and try and play like I think he's just here 
to relax for the next four months. And then in January, hope he gets a move away. And if not in January, he'll get a move away in the summer. You know, I, 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 that's my biggest worry. Because as you said, we all know he can contribute. And I think in certain roles in this team, he can, depending on what formation we go with. But as you said, with Rafa's 4-4-2, 4-3-3 fluid, whatever you want to call it, um, it, it just doesn't seem like it, he fits into the, any of the roles there. And, and it's going to be hard. But again, maybe we'll see something this weekend now that Rafa knows he's there for sure. Obviously, he wasn't available for the team in any of the, basically any of the games um, because of the COVID protocol. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Hamas fits in and if, if he does get a chance and, and kind of seizes it. Um, a few more. Just, yeah, go you ahead. Know, jump in there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with your point about the defensive liability. And if you do somehow manage that, that, you know, that rotation with Hamas in there, you know, that puts so much emphasis and strain on both Decore and Allen to be flawless, mm-hmm. essentially, because um, you're getting, you know, Hamas's base at best is a net zero on defense, if not a net negative. And so the kind of the compensation that you need from Decor and Allen to make up for that is, is crazy huge. And that means that those two players need to be on the field almost every game because, yeah. you know, there aren't like, we don't have that like for like replacement for those guys. Their roles are so crucial and we both, and you know, we saw that last season, both had injury issues. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I think JPG might be able to fill that Ducore role a little bit, but About we don't know. Risk. We have no idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think with James, maybe we see him play against the lower level sides, the sides that won't be attacking us too much. Whereas, you know, they'll try and hit us on the counterattack and you'll have Allen and Ducore there to kind of stop it and then, you know, change play back in the other direction in situations where we can put pressure on other teams. I don't know if he fits into a team playing Manchester City or Manchester United. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, a few more things. Uh, Nkunku transferred out. I think that was one of the bigger surprises. Not transferred, excuse me, loaned out. Um, no cover at left back right now. Your thoughts on this this deal that, that, that was struck? And obviously we didn't get a right back, so the fullback positions aren't looking too hot right now. Yeah, I think that the team is leaning, is is really banking on health from uh, Dina and Coleman, <laughs> honestly. You know, I, I think that I was – I'm disappointed to see – well, part of me is disappointed to see Nkunku go on loan. Um, you know, he is still super young at 20, which is crazy um, to think about because, you know, he's shown flashes. And so I kind of – for me, half of, half of it is kind of – you know, we're losing this much needed cover at fullback that the club has known we need cover, you know, on the flanks for ages, you know. And so that part of me is, is disappointed to see him go. The other part of me, though, is is excited for hopefully, you know, him to get more experience because mm-hmm. he has shown flashes, but it's been inconsistent. And again, he's only 20, you know, so to get experience in in another you know, I mean, the Belgian league is, you know, it's not the EPL, of course, but, you know, he's going to get valuable minutes and experience to hopefully help improve his play, um, you know. And so I think in terms of that, I'm excited for him to go and, and pick up that experience. But from a kind of perspective right now of the team and further, you know, shrinking the depth at fullback, that definitely worries me because uh, I, you know, again, both Coleman and Dina have had injury issues 
in the past. Dina got hurt at the Euros this summer. Um, so trying to bank on your true starting 11 to, main, to, to you know, remain healthy for the entire 38-game season is unrealistic because it just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of 50-50 split. I like the move for him personally to get that development. But looking at the squad, it worries me a little bit. Yeah. Um, with Nkunku, I think, you know, the biggest thing with him, really good attacking presence. What worries me more is his defensive, his defensive abilities. Um, so hopefully when he does go out on loan, maybe that's something he can pick up and start to develop there. That is something that I, I would be a little, I am a little worried about with him. But again, it does leave us very light in the back, at least in the corner uh, on the fullback positions. Because the center back, you know, we have about four or five center backs who can compete for that role. You know, Michael Keane, we have Brantwaite still, um, obviously Mina, Godfrey. Um, but Coleman tends to peter out as the season goes on. So he's going to get tired. And, and we do have John Joe Kenny, but I think we all can agree that he's not the guy to fill that role for the, for the future. So that is obviously, you know, again, we'll get into the right back position, I think, in a little bit. Um, but the left back position with Dean being kind of left there, Delph being his cover, Godfrey being his cover, I, I just think it puts too much strain on the team. And, um, you know, every time they go out there, you just got to, you know, close your eyes and cross your fingers and hope nobody gets hurt. So, um, It'll be interesting. Um, I, you just got to make it to January, I think. I think once we get to January, we can fix that. But shipping him out on the last day of the transfer window without any way of possibly you know, replacing him is, I, I think, a, a tough thing to do. Um, where did we miss in the transfer window? And I think we all probably have the same ideas, you know, but what do you think? Where, where were the – what would you have liked to see, see, like to have seen from Everton in this transfer window that they did not do? Yeah, I mean, you know, not to not to beat not to beat a dead horse here, um, but definitely looking at at the fullback position, I, I would have liked, I would have liked some cover there. You know, I think maybe not in terms of transfers, but one thing I I wish that we could see more of is more of Ben Godfrey. I, I understand, I completely understand that, you know, there is an overabundance of center backs for sure, but just, and who knows, maybe, you know, maybe he can come in and, and provide depth at the fullback position. He played as a fullback at, you know, during last season. Um, so, you know, maybe he can be a player who can go there, but, you know, I think just for me, a lot of it is, is depth too. I think that so much of our team is, are just injury concerns and injury risks that, you know, you look at center, you know, the CDM, the sixth position, again, mm-hmm. talking about Decore and Alan, their injury history, you know, where Charleston has been injured in the past, you know, the fullbacks with Coleman and Dina, JPG, you know, I, I hope, I hope we see him. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think for me, a lot of it is just kind of missing on, on depth and just picking up players that, you know, could have helped, with just supplanting those injuries when they inevitably happen. Um, so that, that's kind of the biggest things for me. Yeah, depth, depth does seem to be, you know, the issue year after year. And again, that is the problem that comes with this dead wood that we can't get off the books and we just don't have money to spend, extra money to spend in those positions, which is, you know, we can go on and on for days. Again, like I said, 
my my opinion, the right back position was top priority coming into the season. We didn't get a right back, and for me, um, for me, that's a failure. I, I think the transfer window as a whole is a failure because you didn't reach your top priority. You had one thing that you absolutely needed to get, and you didn't get that. So that that bothers me a lot, and I think that's a that's you know, it, it's happened three or four times now in the past six seven years. I feel like I remember when the it happened with Lukaku. We needed, you know, depth in certain positions. We needed a right wing, whatever it may be. We just never seemed to. We needed a center midfielder. You know, we never seemed to fill that role. And it's just like, it's frustrating over and over again. In terms of the Godfrey thing, I agree. You know, I think we do start to see him a little more. He had the COVID. I think he's not up to fitness right now. Um, He had that COVID. He was out on COVID. I don't know if he's at the fitness level. I think we do see him as the season goes on. I can't imagine he's not the top choice center back, um, but we'll see. Um, but at, in terms of that, if he plays in the fullback position, it does give you a lack of attacking threat. And I think that's the one problem Rafa would have with playing him there is that he likes to attack with those fullbacks and from the outsides. And, and you don't get that with Godfrey. So, I mean, as much, or, or you don't get as much quality with that as Godfrey with Godfrey. So, We'll see. I mean, listen, if you need cover, you need cover. There's nothing you can do about it. So if he's going to play, he's going to play there and, you know, you deal with it. But um, definitely I think the fullback positions were, were the biggest miss. And I think you're not going to find an Everton fan around that doesn't agree with that. Um, final couple things. Um, thoughts on the squad heading into the rest of the season. Uh, is this a team that can compete at least until January when they can get more help in? I'm yeah optimistically i'm gonna say yes um i think that look i think rafa is a coach that that demands buy-in from his team um you know he he requires players to to buy into the system and play that way and and i think that the team right now the way that they've been constructed those players have shown that they can do it and you know i'm looking at some of the games coming up burnley villa norwich and you get united a red-hot West Ham team. Then you get Watford, Wolves. Then you go Spurs City, tough games. Brentford, Liverpool and Arsenal aren't great. Chelsea, um, you also see Crystal Palace in that stretch. You know, Leicester, Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton, Norwich, Villa. So uh, my point being is that, you know, yes, you have those matches against the top teams, and, you know, it's kind of brutal having Spurs, City, um, Liverpool and Arsenal in the span of, you know, five weeks. But I think the level of, I think you'll see a different level of play. Last season, the Toffees had a terrible record. They had a losing record when they held more possession. And I, and I just, you know, for everything that Carlo brought, I'm not sure if the team was necessarily the, the best built tactically to, to, you know, I mean, they lost to Newcastle twice, lost to Southampton. I mean, there were games they lost where you thought, you know, they should not have lost, lost to Sheffield. And so I think with Rafa's, the, the tactical organization that he brings, I think will be better suited for the, the style that Everton wants to play with the personnel they have. Um, I think that you could, you could make the argument that maybe last mm-hmm. season they were more talented mm-hmm. of a squad um, than the team this year, but I think that the team this year has more buy-in. I think that it's going to be a more cohesive unit. They they obviously have more Premier League experience than last season. Um, and mm-hmm. at least in the coming month, the schedule is favorable. So yeah, 
you know, I think that overall they, they can, if not, you know, thrive into the transfer window, um, you know, they can at least kind of steady the ship and, and maintain the course. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the season as a whole so far against the teams that we should beat, we we really have beaten those teams. Leeds gave up a couple leads, um, but um, defensively, really, we've been very good. I mean, you take away the two Michael Keane mistakes, and you're looking at one goal over the first three matches, which is great. And 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 again, that back line has to stay healthy, um, but. Um, I I, th- I agree. I think the fixture list is helpful. I think that when we play those teams like Spurs and City and, and Liverpool, it's not going to be pretty. It is not going to be pretty at all. You're going to be transformed way back to David Moyes' ball, and we're going to be – it's going to be ugly. And, I, you know, I think we'll get results out of some of those games. But, again, as we say every year, you need to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. And if Everton can continue to do that with the stretch they have here – and with the certain stretches they have along the course of this first half of the season, they'll be okay. They'll be okay. And I think if you get those wins and you beat those teams that you're supposed to beat, you earn a couple draws or maybe a win against some of these uh, top six teams in this first half, January will come around, you'll be in a good position, and then there'll be a motive to go forward and go push and try and get a right back in, try and get a left back in, and try and bolster the squad a little bit more. Um, again, we don't know. I don't know how strapped for cash we're going to be in the January window. I don't un- really understand the FFP regulations and all of that. Um, and, and really, I don't think any of us really know where Everton is, whether it is really a strap for cash or whether they're just trying to be conservative or they just didn't get their, their, their pieces in. But um, it's going to be interesting. I think this team has a chance to compete. I think they've showed us that. I think there's pieces. There's depth in certain positions, but – concerns obviously defensively in some areas so we'll see how it plays out we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the uh everton women's team all right we're back and talking about the everton women's team um they start their season tomorrow which is uh september 4th uh at 8 30 against man city 8 30 a.m our time i believe it's well what would that be 1 30 their time i believe um so um, they finished, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ian, I believe I got all this right, but correct me if I'm wrong. They finished fifth on 32 points last year, um, but we're still a significant way off the top four. I believe they're 15 points behind United, who was, who was in fourth. Um, they had a little bit of a slow start. I think they lost like their first four games. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, at least if I was looking at the right thing, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it looked like they picked it up towards the end of the season, lost to Chelsea in the fifth round of the FA Women's Cup. And I believe they didn't make it out of the FAWSL Cup, if I'm not mistaken, too. Or of the group stages, I should say. Um, I, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. That was just the research that I had found. Um, talk about this team. What was the story of last season? Where did they get it right and where did they get it wrong? What was this team last year? Yeah, um, so a couple of yeah, – they, they finished fifth, 32 points, 15 behind uh, United in fourth. Um, they actually kind of mirrored the men's team, actually. Um, they, they had a red hot start. They, they began the season, um, with, with multiple wins and they were really cooking. You know, I, I think they were top of the league for one match week. Um, and in terms of the, um, the league cup, which is referred to as the continental cup, um, in, in the WSL. Yeah. They did not make it out of the group stage. 
Um, they beat United and Liverpool, which was nice, but they lost to City. Um, and, you know, the format, it's, it's geographic. So it's, it's, not, it's not as equal as it could be for, for some teams. Um, so you had, you know, Crystal Palace advancing, which is a championship-level team, um, where Everton is better, but the group was harder. So, you know, don't get me started on the format. But they didn't make it out of that. Um, but, yeah, they actually they lost a heartbreaking match um, in the FA Cup final to Man City. Uh, they ended up losing 3-1, but they were tied going into extra time. Um, and they let up a goal in the 119th and 122nd uh, to lose that game, which was absolutely brutal. Um, and so, you know, f- f- overall, I-, I would say the season was a success. Uh, Willie Cook- Kirk took over um, several seasons back and has really, you know, revolutionized the squad. He's completely changed it up, signings in and out each season. And, and the team has improved each year. Um, last season was a story of, uh, winning the games you're supposed to and losing the games you're supposed to. Um, so against the lower side uh, league, teams in the league, they did pretty well. But of the top four, uh, which is United, Arsenal, Chelsea, and City, they were 0-8 yeah. um, and weren't particularly uh, competitive in a majority of those games. So this summer they really focused on, um, you know, you know, mixing up the squad, bring in players who could help compete to take them to that next level, to break into that top four mm-hmm. um, this season. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second. And, and yeah, just to correct that, I, I must've been looking at the 2019, I think, or something like that, but yes, five matches unbeaten to start the season last year. And then things kind of fell off a little bit after that, again, similar to the men's team, as you mentioned. Um, this team, um, and again, just again for clarification, the Continental Cup, City and United, as you mentioned, were two of the top four teams. So Everton not getting too much of a good draw in that in the Continental Cup either in the group stages. Um, but um, talk about those players. You mentioned players that they brought in, players they lost. Talk about kind of uh, the summer that they had, who they brought in, how those players can contribute, and who they lost and what they're losing at those positions. Sure. Um, so this was, you know, it was, it was an incredible summer from a transfer standpoint for the women's team. Um, they made a total of around 20 total transfers. Um, they brought in nine and, you know, they, they let about 11 or so go, most of whom were released. One, Ingrid Mowold, who was the incumbent right back last season, she retired. Um, and one, there were some teams, uh, there were some players who got picked up by other teams. And I think the only player who was, it was kind of an unexpected loss was Haley Rasso, who's a winger. And um, she definitely was, you know, for the second, for the second consecutive transfer window, uh, you know, we have lost a, a promising winger to Man City. Um, two seasons ago, of course, it was Chloe Kelly. And this season it was Haley Rasso. Um I think Kelly had more upside two seasons ago. So losing Rasso isn't, you know, she's not unreplaceable, irreplaceable for, for us here, but it was definitely a blow to lose her. Cause she, she brings pace. She brings, um, you know, guile on the wing and was definitely a fun player to watch. And, and I think had she stayed, she would have been um, firmly in the, you know, in the starting 11 for most of the season. And if not, you know, kind of one of the first players off the bench. Um, other than that, you look at the players that they lost, you know, many of whom were, you know, 
dutiful servants to the team, um, but you know they just didn't really have a future. Um, Chantel Boyolorca started with, you know, she's been at the club for 16 years. She came through the youth ranks, um, but she had one goal last season. You know, so she was released and signed with Aston Villa. Georgia Bram had spent the past three seasons on loan uh, away from Everton, so she clearly had no future with the club. Um, Mava Clemerone and Tina Riku Corpella, uh, midfielder and goalkeeper, backup goalkeeper respectively, um, you know, were both depth pieces. And so they were released and signed with Tottenham. Molly Pike is a young, younger player who was loaned to Bristol City last season in the transfer window, the January transfer window. Um, she wound up getting um, released by the team. She clearly was not in the future as well. They lost a couple young players in, in Hannah Cohn and Anna Peterson. And then, you know, really the final player that was moved away was Abby Lee Stringer, another defensive midfielder to West Ham. And so, you know, I think that the players that they lost are, you know, all deserve to be in the super league, you know, that they are quality solid level players. But what really excites me is, is the level of players they got back. And I think that pretty much everywhere on the lot on the roster, they got better. Um, so Tina Rico Corpella is one of the, you know, the goalkeeper they lost. She's 32 and they brought in uh, Courtney Brosnan from West Ham, who's an, an Irish goalkeeper. Um, she's definitely in the mix to be Ireland's number one between the sticks. So I think there's a, you know, a straight upgrade there. Um, they brought in Kenza Dolly, also from West Ham, got a double swoop from West Ham there. Um, you know, Dolly has spent time at PSG in her career. She has, you know, been in and out of the French national team. So, you know, and she's looked great in preseason. She scored multiple goals. Um, she's had an assist, so that's a huge get for them. Um, Tony Duggan, who started her career uh, at Everton and then left um, to join Manchester City in 2013, and then she spent the past four seasons in Spain with Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. So having her return, you know, she's, you know, 30, she has plenty of experience, and she knows the club, so that's a really fun signing to kind of, you know, have a bookends, full circle moment with her coming back. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Ingrid Mo Wold, who is our right back, who started 95% of the league games, retired. Um, I think that was a little bit shocking to the team. She's only 32, so losing her services definitely hurt, but thankfully, uh, Leonie Meyer became available from Arsenal. She was released um, this summer when her contract expired, and she's a right back. And interestingly enough, she is four years younger than um, Mould. So I think that's a super bit, bit of business. She scored a stunning goal in the preseason, kind of, she was taking it down the right wing and just launched a cross shot, uh, which went in. So I think that that's a player where you can argue that that's an upgrade. And uh, a little bit of trivia, the, the women's team signed the first ever Italian to play in the Super League, um, a, uh, a midfielder named Aurora Gali, who is just super versatile. I mean, she can play up and down the midfield. And she was at the World Cup in 2019 with Italy. And, you know, she is, you know, firmly in the plans with Italy. So, you know, I mentioned losing two uh, defensive midfielders in Maeve Clemerone and Abby Lee Stringer. Um, but, you know, I think that Aurora Gali more than makes up for those two players. And 
I know it keeps going, so bear with me here. Um, the final three moves that they made were a trio of uh, Swedish international players, um, all from FC Rosengard, uh, which is one of the top teams in Sweden. So they brought in uh, forward Anna Anvegard, they brought in defender Natalie Bjorn, and then midfielder Hannah Bennison. So Anna Anvegard is just a, a pure striker. I mean, she is, you know, one of the top, she was one of the top strikers in the Swedish league, um, the Domal Svenskan, I think I'm saying that right. My apologies if I'm butchering that. Um, but with Rosengard um, in her three seasons, she had 26 goals and 37 appearances. Um, she was with Sweden at the Olympics this summer, and she is only 24. So, you know, to add that level of, of striking competency to a team that already features um, Simone McGill and Valerie Govan is, is huge. Uh, they also brought in Natalie Bjorn, who is a center back. She can play um, as a fullback if necessary, but she is a, a center back by trade. She was also with Sweden this summer at the World Cup and was uh, amongst their starting center backs. And then the perhaps the most exciting signing of the summer um, is Hannah Benison from Rosengard. She's 18 and has, is, is widely viewed as one of the most promising talents um, up-and-coming talents in the women's game, the women's European soccer. So, you know, to get her, and she came in, you know, just recently, a couple weeks ago. And so to get her near the end of the transfer deadline, um, I think was a really sharp bit of business. And I think that, look, Willie Kirk, the the, the coach has mentioned, you know, he's going to have problems of figuring out who's going to play because inevitably they're going to be talented players who are going to miss out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that is, you know, you know, he has, he certainly has an embarrassment of riches at his disposal and it's a good problem to have, um, you know, and, and again, to make up for injuries, he has much better depth at his disposal this season than he did last. Yeah. I mean, 20 new or 20 players in 20 players out. That's a lot of change in the squad for sure. Um, a lot of, you know, it sounds like veteran players also that, that were lost, um, do you see this squad having any trouble? Again, you mentioned preseason. They've looked pretty solid. Have they had any trouble adapting to the fact that there's a whole new host of players there, or um, have they kind of gelled pretty well? Yeah, I think most players have gelled pretty well. Um, you know, aside from Aurora Gali and the three Swedes that they brought in, um, every player has had experience in the uh, Women's Super League. So mm-hmm. that would be Dolly. Duggan, uh, Leonie Meyer, and Courtney Brosnan. But the players who don't have that experience, you now three of them are Swedes. So, you know, it, that blunts the transition period. And then the other being Aurora Gali, who, you know, has, has definitely shown flashes in the preseason. And mm-hmm. I think that just with the structure in place, you know, the rest of the squad, all, you know, all the returners is just kind of the environment that they've created is, is a very open one. Um, you know, following everything on Twitter, the team, you know, they seem to be having a really fun time. It seems like a really fun group of, of players together. So for the most part, the preseason, look, the, as you do in the preseason, you know, you kind of stack games with opponents who maybe aren't the most, the games won't be, you know, ultra competitive, but it'll give you a chance to evaluate your squad. They haven't played, you know, the best competition, but for the team that they have played, the squad looks to be, Go, heading in a really good direction. 
Yeah, it does sound like that. I mean, it sounds like they have um, quite the opposite of what the Everton men's team have, a lot of depth. It sounds like they have a lot of depth. Um, and it does sound like they're going to be, you know, from what you're saying, it does sound like they'll be solid. But is there anywhere on the field that this team is going to need help? Is there any weaknesses that this team has on the field are in certain areas of the pitch? Or um, is this a team that's, that's pretty well built from top to bottom? Yeah, honestly, this is a team that's really well built. Um, I mean, they have depth at every position. I guess maybe the one spot you could argue that, that they're lacking depth is is right back, um, a la men's team. Uh, <laughs> you know, Leonie Meyer is, you know, your, your true and true, you know, day in, day out, right back. They don't have a like-for-like replacement for her. They have players who can, you know, fill in as kind of wing-back, full-back types. Um, Natalie Bjorn being one of those who you can swap out um, over to the right. But honestly, other than that, I, I mean, they go two goalkeepers deep. They go four center backs deep. They go, um, you know, two defensive midfielders deep. Um, you know, on the wings, they are, you know, they have, they're plentiful. The striking, you know, the, the attack unit is is really well represented. Um, you know, I think maybe the one other place in the in the roster that I think may might need might kind of be an area of of depth issue is the um the sixth position you know two of them two you know two of whom i've already spoken about Mava clumerone and abby lee stringer uh were lost last you know this off season they their their contracts were not extended and then of course jill scott who uh we got on loan from manchester city last season she returned to her parent club so you know there were three defensive midfielders that the team lost um, they did bring in Aurora Gali, but, you know, she's only one player and they did lose three. So there's a little bit of depth um, issue there. But, you know, there's no position that for me that can't be, you know, it can't be made up where maybe there's a little bit of depth with, with the six. But, you know, should Gali move move to a different position or, you know, hopefully she doesn't. But if she gets hurt, there are players who you can drop into that space um, to cover should an injury occur. So for me, I think that you know, it's it's great to see the vision of Willie Kirk three years in the making. And, you know, I think that this is the most complete team that he's had um, in his tenure with the Toffees. So I'm, I'm really excited. It's it's the deepest team he's had is the most complete team. Um, and I think that they, I think they can make some noise and I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. Yeah, it sounds like they've um, steadily grown from year to year, at least from talking to you and, and what we've talked about in past podcasts. And since you've joined us, how we've talked about the Everton team, it seems like they've been on a pretty steady growth from year to year. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's great. Listen, it's um, awesome to see the women's team doing that and, and competing up near the top there. Um, it was only a short time ago, if I'm not mistaken, that they were in WSL too, right? So, I mean, they've made strides since bringing Willie Kirk in um, and, and really have jumped up there. Two more questions for you. The first one, who will be the standout player for you this season? Who do you think is going to be the player that Everton will rely on or the player that will stand out to most if you're watching a game um, on this women's team? Yeah, yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, I'm going to say a couple. I'm, I'm going to cheat here a little bit, and I'm going to say a couple. Um, the first for me is Claire Emsley, um, who is a, a, a Scottish winger. And, you know, she was injured at times last season, but – I mean, she brings creativity, she brings flair, she brings, um, you know, intelligence on the wing. Um, she really fits the, the ethos of this team, hardworking, uh, you know, disciplined, quick, can spring on the counterattack. 
So I think that, you know, and she's been here for, you know, a, a season. So she has that experience. So I think that that's kind of my, my first answer. I think she will be key to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the second, for me, it's, it's a toss up between Anna Anvigard and Valerie Govan. Um, you know, I think that Govan, who has spent time as the starting striker for the French national team, you know, there was a lot of excitement, rightfully so, at, at her signing last summer. And, you know, she picked up a, um, a knee injury in the FA Cup final against Man City, which kind of hurt her chances, hurt her season moving forward. And she just didn't, she couldn't quite recover from that. And so now they've brought in Anvigard to kind of, you know, push her in that spot. I don't know if the two can work in tandem if, if you drop uh, Anvigard right below her. But I think that those two players, if Everton can, you know, if they can be, you know, the two-headed goal-scoring machine that the Toffees have lacked in the past, I think that would really push the team forward um, this season. Yeah, I mean, I know Govan. I, I, when we've talked about the Everton women's team, I feel like she comes up a lot. And I, I feel like the, the couple times I did watch them, she also stood out as well. So that'll be an interesting player for me. That's, that's someone that I, I've been looking out for when I watch them as well. Um, final question here. You mentioned it a little bit, but as we look forward to the season now, we get started. Where can this team go? What's their, their ceiling? Can they get to the top four? What's your opinion on this team and the season that they can have? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super pumped for the season. I think top four is, is the goal. I mean, it's, it's very realistic. Um, you know, Chelsea and City still are, you know, the undisputed uh, one and two of, of the league. Um, I'll get to Arsenal in a second, but Manchester United has just completely seen their depth gashed this season. It, it's a club more or less in disarray. Um, Tobin Heath and, and Kristen Press, uh, you know, the two U.S. women's national team players who signed with United last summer are both gone. Kristen Press to Angel City FC, the new expansion franchise in the NWSL. And Tobin Heath actually signed um, to add insult to injury. She signed with Arsenal. Um, as I'm sure you you saw this morning. And so, you know, not only that, Casey Stoney, United's manager, stepped down, citing, you know, kind of unworkable conditions, you know, a lack of support from the the club. And so, you know, they lost the coach that took them to, you know, got them promoted. They've lost other, you know, Lauren James signed another insult to injury. Uh, you know, she's a young up-and-coming player and the brother of Reese James. Um, so she signed with Chelsea. Uh, you know, from there. And, you know, they've lost, you know, Amy Turner signed with Racing Louisville uh, in the NWSL. So for me, I think that United and Everton have just had, um, you know, opposite summers this year where Everton brought, you know, they kind of called out the players who might, you know, might be kind of not as, as strong in the roster to bring in, you know, kind of top talents. And United just saw the depth go. So I think that Everton should place above United this season. Arsenal is another team, you know, Joe Montemiro, their, their coach left, um, bringing in Heath is big for them for sure. But I think that it will definitely be a toss up between Everton and Arsenal for that number two spot. I think, you know, of course on paper only tells you so much. I think on paper, Arsenal still has a better squad. Um, but you know, both teams are, you know, excellently managed and you know, they have, Everton now boasts a starting starting lineup of world class talent. Um, so I think that 
I, again, I, I think that City and Chelsea still are a little bit ahead um, just with, I mean, those are the top players in the world playing for those two teams. Um, but, you know, I think that Everton, they get a couple favorable results against Arsenal. I mean, you're looking at a champion Champions League team um, for next year. So I think that based on the summer they've had, the expectation that, I mean, the bare minimum is fourth for sure. Um, but I think the goal and, and kind of the, the ceiling for this team would be to finish third and, and qualify for the Champions League. So third qualify, the top three qualify for the Champions League then? Correct. And does fourth go anywhere? Do they have like another competition for the fourth? They, so it's just do. the top three. Gotcha. Yep. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think from what you've told us and, and you know, just off of your information, I, I think this team got significantly better from what we've heard from last year and how, how, we, how things went last year. And that's always encouraging. Uh, again, they start their season tomorrow, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time over here in America um, and 1.30 p.m. over there in um, England. Is there anywhere that we can watch if we wanted to watch in America? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, the, um, the FA has their own streaming platform. It's called mm-hmm. um, the FA Player. Um, if you just Google the FA Player, you can register for an account. Um, it's free. And most games are streamed on that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also sign up for ATA Football, A-T-A Football, um, which is another streaming service that shows games. Those are kind of the big, you know, marquee matchups. Um, and then those are kind of the two big places to go. And then I, I, I'm not sure on this. I, I will verify. But I'm pretty sure that NBC Sports will continue mm-hmm. to air select games this season. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, you know, if Everton plays a, a City or a Chelsea that game is likely to be streamed. Um, so those are kind of the, the three outlets that you can go to should you want to watch uh, the Women's Super League. And, and I, I highly recommend it. There are, you know, there are a lot of, you know, world-class players in this league. And, you know, I think it's really important to, to support the women's soccer and, and watch their games because it's, it's high-level soccer and it's really exciting. Um, and especially as, you know, as Everton fans, like it's, this is, soccer that you want to watch and and I think that this could be a really fruitful season for them yeah and it does look like NBC Sports is um is going to do that um it kicked it a tweet that I'm seeing here says um the the WSL season kicks off this week and great news NBC Sports and out of football uh have expanded their partnership to bring even more women's football to the USA so definitely check it out there probably on Peacock would be my guess for a lot of games but um, from another report I'm seeing here, it looks like at least 12 matches on NBC Sports um, and then other games coming on the NBC Sports app, Peacock and whatnot. So um, you'll have places to watch them if you want to watch them. I mean, hey, there's no soccer on this weekend for the men. I mean, I think it's, it sounds like this Everton team is going to go out there. They have Man City tomorrow. It's going to be a great match because Man City, as you mentioned, is one of the best teams in the league. They're going to get a feel for what this team is. And I mean, I know I will probably be watching because I'll be up early and um, I, I definitely want to check this team out. Um, but I think everybody else should as well because I think, you know, I, we are Everton fans and that means we don't just support the men's team. We support the women's team as well. Um, and, and it sounds like this team has a, has a good future ahead of them this season. So, Ian, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, it was great getting to hear about the women's team and great getting to talk about transfer news. And uh, we'll definitely have you on uh, in the near future again. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And to you guys out there, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for for following. Um, just make sure keep downloading the episode, subscribing, whatever you got to do to get this episode each and every week. Um, we'll be back next week. 
with a preview for uh, the game on the weekend and a review of the Brighton match um, and kind of breaking down Everton as the men's team as a whole going into or after the international break. But other than that, uh, that's it for us, and we'll talk to you guys next time.